0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Hacking Into Security, your career-related cybersecurity show. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, the InfoSec recruiter. And regularly, we'll be catching up with a variety of guests from CISOs, entrepreneurs, VCs, new people into the industry, and more. Each sharing their story, industry knowledge, and advice on how others can navigate success in their career. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Hacking Into Security. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, and today we're joined by John Jackson. John, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for sparing your time. So
0: John is an application security engineer at Shutterstock. He is also an avid bug bounty hunter and has a second job as a pencester working for 1337 Inc or Leet Inc. So it sounds like you're a bit of a busy guy, John.
1: Yeah, I definitely like to stay busy. I took on that second job as a penetration tester to to kind of scratch that itch to do Red Team penetration testing. Nice.
0: So in terms of sort of day-to-day, what do you do as an AppSec engineer over at Shutterstock?
1: Well, I think when people think application security engineer, they just think website. But especially at Shutterstock, there's more to it than that, right? So, yes, I'm an AppSec engineer, which does include web applications, but you know, from a high-level overview, I also assist in managing our bug bounty program, our SAST and DAS tools, so static application security testing and dynamic testing tools, and help protect Shutterstock's various application-related assets. Additionally, I help think up unique ways to foster security awareness. Do you want an example of that? Yeah, I would love to. For example, recently, I made a three-part secret serious tech talk for Shutterstock with my colleague uh, Jeff Gallitz. It's about the danger exposed secrets and threat actors can leverage these secrets to exploit an enterprise. We really wanted to hammer that point home. So in part two of the talk, we actually performed some live hacking, and I set up a scenario in which a threat actor manages to exploit secrets found in a company's GitHub repo, like SSH private key. And... It ultimately led to the takeover of Jenkins, a reverse shell and full privilege escalation on that server. And, you know, Jeff and I are actually going to give part three in November, which is going to take that scenario in which leaked secrets leads to a MySQL server takeover. And then we're going to dump databases to show people like how threat actors can obtain some.
0: Yeah, actually demonstrate this is what can really happen.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it is important to, you know, show people because I, I think in AppSec, a lot of times when, you know, they kind of look at us as the sheriffs walking around saying, hey, don't don't do this and, and fix that. Right. But I think it's more than that. You know, we, we just want to make sure we're keeping the, the enterprise safe.
0: And you think a lot more than just running some scanning tools and yeah, I guess being a lot more proactive.
1: Yeah, abs- Absolutely
0: for me john you've got an interesting career you've been at Shutterstop for nearly a year i guess not your first job in security but your background is very very different yeah you know looking at linkedin here i mean you a petroleum engineer for, yeah <laughs> for the u.s marine corps back in 2012 2016 i'm curious like how how on earth does someone go from working you know like In the Marines as a petroleum engineer, then logistics manager to where you're at today.
1: It's actually kind of funny. For one, I I never thought I was gonna end up in cybersecurity. I wonder how many other people say that too. It was a journey in a sense, right? So I never saw myself sitting at a computer all day, but I towards the end of my Marine Corps career, I was actually injured and you know, had ankle surgeries and some stuff. So I ended up becoming a disabled vet and I needed to find a career that was more suitable. I did a lot of research and I ended up hearing a lot about CBD and and marijuana and the treatment of major ailments and illnesses. So I thought, you know, why not try to own a dispensary? So I moved out to Colorado and worked at a dispensary for for a little while, about about a year. But overall, I just I didn't like the field. I was doing that part time and I was going to school at the University of Colorado Denver, but it it just wasn't keeping me interested. So I I, I got a phone call from from LeaderQuest Denver, which was a technical school, and they actually asked me, "Do you want to be a hacker?" <laughs> and, yeah, and I was like, "What? What do you mean, be a hacker? I, I don't I don't know anything about computers." And they were like, "Oh, we'll te- you know, we'll teach you everything. There's there's this amazing." Cr- sir, it's crazy. It's called certified ethical hacking, but you know, we'll run you through our boot camp and, and, and start you at the lowest certain, and you'll work your way up. And I was just kind of blown away. You know, I, I laughed, but, but I gave him a chance to, to really sell me on it. And I, I went down there with my roommate at the time we both ended up going to the school.
0: Wow. That's must've been an interesting experience. I guess, like if, if that may be asking as a petroleum engineer in, in the marine corps what what are you act, what are you
1: actually doing right so funny thing about uh petroleum engineering in the marine corps is they consider us glorified gas pumpers and in a sense we are a little bit but when you look at petroleum engineering in the marine corps our day to day i mean it was engineering you know we set up massive fuel systems we did fuel testing we dispensed fuel we maintained set up cleaned fuel equipment and and gave out fuel receipts. And there's two sides to this. There's there's ground side and there, there's the air wings. So, you know, f- fueling up jets and CH-53s and, and other types of planes and helicopters and stuff. And then there's the ground side, which is like tanks, LAVs, AAVs, you know, trucks, Humvees, your everyday kind of ground equipment. So it, it definitely was engineering, but as as we say, no one in the Marine Corps chooses petroleum engineering. You kind of get forced <laughs> into that a little bit.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, I guess the, the specific learning environment to then do exactly the sort of stuff you've done at Shutterstock recently. So yeah, in terms of I guess leader quest and any other sort of Marine Corps training, did anything else help you along the way?
1: so so leader quest helped me greatly actually i would say that a certification boot camps they're awesome but but you know you i think they get a bad rep because you get back what you put in so for instance i didn't i didn't want to be that guy who took a bunch of classes and sat around waiting to gain the confidence to take certification exams because you know i had i had peers that did that so i i really pushed hard i studied day and night when i was there and i think ultimately it really paid off, you know. It, it ended up leading into me passing nearly all of my exams. I, I never ended up taking Network Plus, but I ended up getting IDLE, CompTIA A Plus, Security Plus, EC Council Certified Network Defender, and finally, I got that renowned "quote unquote" ethical hacker certification. Right, the EC Council Certified Ethical Hacker.
0: Cool. What was the turning point for you? What was what was the I guess definitive thing if there was that i guess when you when you go from someone who doesn't work with computers to that first job at staples where you you're actually in the industry for the first time
1: right so it was a grind i mean it it definitely was even though i had all of these certifications i put in hundreds of job applications and this was over the course of of three months it almost felt like i I wasn't even going to get it and then uh Ultimately, I, I took a, a job, but it, it was so quick that I usually don't really even include it on my resume, but I took a job as a help desk specialist for the Department of Homeland Security.
0: Okay.
1: So it's called the Hizon Help Desk Homeland Security Information Network with General Dynamics IT. And I didn't know how long I was going to be there, but, but I know that I did not want to be there. I didn't want to be doing help desk. I really wanted to be a hacker, right? Or, or in security, something, doing something cool. So I just kept kept applying. And I staying there for one month before Staples gave me a shot. A contracting company picked me up. And yeah, Staples gave me a shot as a tier three endpoint detection and response engineer.
0: That's great. It must have been not easy going through, I guess, hundreds of, of applications and, and not getting the sort of results you were hoping for.
1: Yeah, it, it was really difficult. I think a lot of people, when they view InfoSec, they, they think about the common thing they hear, which is, oh, cyber, the cybersecurity field is, is really hurting. And, and I've heard that they need to hire people. And they do.
0: Mm.
1: They do need to hire people. But the, the problem is, I tend to think that cybersecurity managers are a little bit finicky, right? You know, they, they want that unicorn, that that perfect person. And you got to prove that if you don't know it, you're going to be willing to learn it. So so that's a big part of it, really.
0: I think it's going to get even harder. The the skills shortage subject is always an interesting one. And sometimes I say, but other times, yes, I agree. I I think it depends on the context and what sort of roles you're talking about. But I I think those that are looking to break into the industry now and even the next sort of six, 12 months or whatever in this new weird world that we're in, it's going to be harder because more companies are going to be hiring remotely. And I think it's going to be very difficult for entry-level people to get that opportunity.
1: Right. And I got to say, Ricky, I feel for these people because it is a weird time, right? They, they kind of want people that aren't remote, but there's there's no place for them to go, right? Mm. So I have seen these a lot of these roles expand. But I mean, as anyone who works in cybersecurity knows, you get hit up with job offerings all of the time. Yeah, and one of the things that I've been seeing is actually people hit me up with with job offers, and they're like, "Oh yeah, well," it's like, "Why, right?" You know, we we've at this point we've proven that that working remote has has been pretty efficient. I, I mean, I I know a lot of people are hurting, right? But th- there's there's a flip side to that. You know, some some people work better remotely than in the office, so I, I think the tables have just turned in a sense.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that goes in the future. So you're working at Staples. How do you then become an AppSec engineer?
1: Right. So as I was saying, it, it was a contract through tech systems. They helped me get in there and, and I was given a shot. And most contracts only only vary between six months to, to a year, depending. So for me, it was six months because they really wanted to make sure that i that i was squared away and, and and good to go right i mean that's kind of the point of being a contract to hire you know they, they don't want any they don't want to lock anyone in, in there that doesn't know enough so they ended up extending my contract three three times nice yeah yeah so it, it was great I, I did enjoy working there i i enjoyed doing endpoint security and and it was great but ultimately i i knew that i i really wanted to be a full-time employee and and be an asset and and not just that contractor guy, right? Yeah. So I just I ended up looking at other positions and I really wanted to be a a a penetration tester. So I started applying to those type of jobs. And and then I saw an application security spot at Shutterstock. And what caught my eye was web app pen testing involvement. And I would say that web app pen test pen testing was always my weak, weak point, at least on the client side, server side, I'm pretty good. But yeah, that was my weak point. So I was like, you know what, I, I really want to increase my skills and just get in there and, and do something different, do something new. So I, I applied and yeah, just knocked the interview out of the park and just got right in there and just got the work started grinding.
0: That's awesome. Are there any particular things you think that helped you in terms of that interview process or meeting people that, that helped you land the job?
1: I think when, when it really comes down to job interviews, you know what you know. And I think that's a concept that's difficult for people to understand, right? A manager asks you, oh, what's X, Y, Z, right? And instead of saying, well, actually, I'm not really sure what X, Y, Z is, but honestly, I'll, I'll take a look into it and I'll, I'll get an answer for you. They just say, I don't know. So I, I think it's important if you're a job seeker to really just be honest, be honest about what you know and what you don't know. And it's something that'll help you. So you know, when I was interviewing for, for Shutterstock, I was asked about some application and security concepts and, and I, knew, I knew a good deal of them. And since I had been hacking, I already knew a lot of the web app pen testing and aspects of things. But when it, when it came to some, some of like the software management processes, I I might not have known at the time. Right. So I was just honest about it and anything can be learned in time. It just depends how bad you want it. So if you really show you have that drive, I think that that tends to help.
0: Definitely. Okay, cool. So then I'm guessing there's a bit of learning on the job for you in this role.
1: Oh, it it definitely was. And I, I think it scares everyone. it it scares the candidate and it also scares the employer a little bit, right? Because they are taking a risk on you, but it it does help when you, when you start to get a little bit more experience in the field, then you can just kind of roll with the punches. So, so that's kind of how it was for me. But like I said, once I got in there, I I hit the ground running. I I learned what I needed to learn. I'm always learning. If if you're not always learning, there's a problem. You always have to be learning outside of work and, and at work too.
0: And outside of work, it looks like you did a lot of stuff, well, a lot of stuff in general, but in particular got a strong interest in bug bounties.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I do have a strong interest in bug bounties.
0: So what, can you share some experience there and, and I guess what you're up to at the moment?
1: Sure. So actually, when I initially started getting into bug bounty hunting, I would say that it was completely accidental. I actually noticed a, a business logic flaw. With TalkSpaces web application and reported it, and ever since I've been dabbling on and off with bug hunting. You know, I found a lot of open redirects. Actually, one of them led to a server-side request for forgery vulnerability, and I found a couple of cross-site scripting here and there. And uh, just recently, myself and this and this kid Jackson, talented kid, fourteen years old, amazing client-side hacker. Wow! And uh, yeah, yeah, he's like. He's great. This kid is like amazing. He blows my mind. He shows, he's like, Oh, look what I found. You know, a vulner- vulnerability on insert big government company, right? And you're just nice. like, Dude, what? <laughs> what, what? Where are you finding these, right? But yeah, he's, he's talented. And together we uncovered a malicious email campaign being run by a threat actor. And they were wow. actually utilizing 13 different companies' assets, like 13 separate companies. So we reported it and got it taken care of. It was actually like one of our one of our first P1 criticals. So so that was That's awesome. Uh, yeah, outside of that, I mean, I'm, I'm working on a bug bounty book. I'm, I'm writing a bug bounty book. And the reason I'm writing this bug bounty book is because, and, and when I say bug bounty book, I, I should elaborate. It's, it's a bug bounty program management book. So basically, I'm going to be talking about evaluating, establishing, and, and managing bug bounty programs from a blue team perspective right and to some that seems a little crazy right like what is there is there a a field for that like is there a viewing for that and and there is actually I, i think a lot of people are starting to run bug bounty programs but the thing is companies either throw engineers on these programs that aren't application security engineers and hackers or they do throw people on there but but they don't really understand hacking and, and, and vulnerabilities. So I really just wanted to help program managers understand how to communicate with hackers, how to communicate with software engineers about vulnerabilities, you know? Time for a quick break.
0: I'm Ricky Burke. In my full-time role, I'm the founder and director of CyberSec People, a leading cybersecurity recruitment company where we support organizations across the US and APAC in hiring cybersecurity talent. Through our connections and reach into the security community, our deep industry knowledge, we save organizations time when hiring. We have a 98% success rate and a three-year track record that demonstrates we only have to send on average two applicants to find success. If your organization is hiring, reach out as we'd love to discuss what that means for you. In the meantime, thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. That's awesome. What what sort of Effort, I guess, goes into writing a book out of interest.
1: Well, for one, you've, you've got to start with an idea, right? For me, I, I think it it was all about passion, right? You know, I, I felt very strongly uh, uh, about this subject and about people that didn't understand security vulnerabilities. Like, if you talk to any bug bounty hunter, they'll they'll tell you that they've they've had an issue with a program not understanding the impact of a bug. And there's a difference between, obviously, a hunter that says they don't understand the impact and and the actual lack of impact, right? So I think there needs to be better communication. So basically what I did is I just ended up writing an outline of, of the book, just chapters, what I'd write about, why I want to write about it, what's going to be in it. And I just, I ran with it. I submitted it to Wiley and they were like, we love it. Let's Let's make it.
0: That's awesome. So, what, where are you at with that now?
1: So, yeah, uh, I would say I'm, I'm getting I'm getting pretty far in it. I definitely have to do a lot of reformatting <laughs> and, and and make sure that everything is structurally sound within the book and and factually factually correct. But I think that's just part of the process. And, and Wiley's probably going to redline it anyways. <laughs> they read, you know, every publisher is going to redline an author's book, right? Because it's their yeah. piece of work and they think it's great, but In reality, it it does need to be fixed up.
0: Okay, fair enough. Now, I know that you've got, let's say, some interesting stories and and some learnings that I think other people can take from you. One in particular that I saw when I was researching you was, was, I guess, a situation with Talkspace. I guess, would you mind elaborating on that and, I guess, other things that maybe other security researchers could learn?
1: Sure. Actually, it's interesting because I've come a long way in the research field. And I'll elaborate on that a little bit. So with Talkspace, for instance, it was completely accidental. I, I wasn't looking for anything. And I feel like in, in every scenario, well, not every, but in a lot of scenarios where, where hackers are, are poking around or, or just doing day-to-day things, they end up stumbling upon things. And a lot of times these companies don't have bug bounty programs or any way of really dealing with it, right? What ended up happening was I had a friend... Who was kind of struggling with depression, but he didn't he didn't have a lot of money. so I, I was trying to think of different solutions for him. And I thought of talkspace. I was like, you know what? these guys these guys are pretty good. I know that they have pretty inexpensive offerings relatively speaking, right? So I, I went to the website and I was taking a look at it. And then I thought back to when I worked at at a at a different company and I'm not going to name the company or anything like that but when I worked at this company they had a talkspace offering and it was for employees and it was it was basically free if you used like this voucher code right and that's the thing I thought it was a voucher code but it turned out to be more than that it it turned out to be a code that was allocated to a company so you could register, and you didn't need a work email. You could just register register an account, and just and and bypass the responsibility to to pay for the program, the entire program. And I was just blown away, right? I, I mean, I honestly thought it thought it was a joke. So I tested the theory. I was like, well, I got to test this. I got to vet this, fully test this, and see what it's all about. So I actually had had my friend sign up, and he went through the entire program it was a couple couple months long he went through the entire therapy program there wasn't any sort of identity verification email email verification with like employers or anything like that to make sure he he was who he was saying he was and he didn't even lie he didn't make up some employee name right he just used his name yeah, yeah. and and he completely got the program for free the unfortunate part of this is when when you look at this process and i started to walk through this process i was like okay how can i document this appropriately right so i started gathering all the evidence all the screenshots everything that i possibly could cuz i knew they didn't have a bug bounty program and i actually reached out to them on social media multiple times with no response over the course of a couple of months and finally i was like all right i'm fed up with this i i, I need to figure out a way to tell them what what's happening and, and and tell them that it's bad. So I ended up contacting their, I think it was either their legal or their press email distro. I don't remember which at the time. And they, they said they'd pass on my research to the security team. And then after a couple of days, they just kind of responded with, oh, our security team says this isn't an, an issue and that people can abuse them and commit fraudulent activity because they're tracking it. Right. But in my head, I'm like, this dude just went through the entire program. Clearly, clearly, there's there's something wrong here, right? Like, because if they were tracking it, his account would have gotten disabled or something like that. But that didn't, that actually didn't happen. So, you know, I did poke around a little bit. They did poke the bear. So, I had him go through the program again, and he did successfully. He went through the program again, using a different e-pro- e-provider or whatever it was called. So, yeah, I was blown away, but they kind of ignored my findings on that. So then I was like, "Well, I, I kind of feel like I have a have a duty because my assumption, and I'll repeat my my assumption here, was that maybe their clients were being exploited, right? Maybe they have some sort of license allocation, or you know, like they pay for eighty employees to to go through this or something like that." So yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, what what ended up happening was I published my findings. And there, there were a lot of assumptions there. So I ended up getting a cease and desist from from them, basically saying that it was, that it was all lies and it was slander. And then, you know, Zach Whitaker from, from TechCrunch picked it up.
0: Wow. How, how did you feel about that?
1: It kind of hurt. It, it really stung, man. I felt unheard, right, as a security researcher. I'm over here thinking, wow, like, I could potentially be either saving them or their clients thousands of dollars right but but instead you know these these guys are just refuting my research and has the right to accept risk right to to a certain extent if it doesn't affect their customers but the thing that really hurt here was that this was a business logic flow and I couldn't actually see anything happening real time other than the fact that, you know, my friend was able to go through the program for free. Yeah. So there, there was a lot of room for plausible deniability on their part to just be like, oh, well, our clients aren't getting exploited. So, and, you know, there's no proof there or anything like that. And we manage our fraud. So it it did hurt to just have my research pushed under the rug because I, com- I was genuinely coming from a good place.
0: Well, especially try to notify them as well
1: yeah and and, and I, I i mean earlier when, when you first asked this question I, I talked about you know growing a lot in the security research field yeah actually jackson that 14 year old hacker he found an issue on cambridge university's website a pretty major issue actually okay and i and they didn't have a program so i actually helped him get the help he needed to disclose the security information and their uh, security director I'm not exactly sure what his full name is but, but he was he was great about it and he he took care of it he really liked Jackson's report and that's how it should be done right you you tell these people you you have a phone, you don't just drop the phone on them and and you just you work you work together and and you get these issues fixed right because that's the overall goal is to just make sure that we're we're making the internet a safer place for everyone.
0: Yeah, I remember on Twitter a few weeks back there was—I can't remember the company now—but there was a, an interesting situation like this. I don't know if you remember, remember seeing something like that. Giggle, right? Yeah, that's the one.
1: Yeah, so that that was really interesting, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, it,
1: it, what also
0: I guess is fascinating when it plays out on social media. Yeah, I guess a lot of people sitting back watching to see how that unfolds.
1: Yeah, I and I definitely talk about that in my book. And I, I really want people to understand that sometimes it has to be done. Sometimes you have to get in front of the public eye so you could you could get the company's attention. But in my opinion, that's not going on Twitter and saying, oh, hey, by the way, I found a remote code execution on your server and I can dump all of your customers' information and here's the endpoint, right? Like. It's not like that and it shouldn't be like that at all. It's it's more like, hey, I've tried emailing you multiple times and you don't have a bug bounty program. Can someone please get me in touch with the security team, right? Yeah. And having having everyone in cybersec say, "Oh my god, this is juicy. Let's let's retweet this or, if, you know, if it's on another platform, let's share this, right? And getting attention to it and kind of forcing the company's hand that like, hey, we need to see what what this guy has, right? Because no one's going to take something that's a, an extremely low vulnerability and, and go public with it like that.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess At least well, they I, shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I guess on, on your journey in security, well, as a security researcher, I guess what else have you come across or what's been interesting for you as well?
1: Honestly, when it comes to security research, it's just the, how I'm, I'm really intrigued by how situations unfold, right? I like, I like the different types of bugs that are out there. I'm especially interested in the business business logic flaws that people can't necessarily test for. They have to really think about it, right? Like you can't just run a script and find a business logic flaw, at least in most cases. So that's pretty interesting to me. I also really like the people in the community. Like there's so, so much talent, so many cool people, so many perspectives, competitions to partake in, bugs to hunt, free learning material. I mean, this this field is ever expansive and, and endless. And that's definitely what I love about security research and, and blue teaming, red teaming, just, just everything in general.
0: Excellent. So you yourself obviously have a very diverse background coming to this industry and, and doing some really cool stuff. What advice maybe do you have for other people out there that are trying to follow maybe your same path, whether they're in the Marines or maybe different sort of backgrounds? How how could they try and make a difference or progress in their journey?
1: Of course. I think first and foremost, before I even get into the cyber aspect of it, I just want to kind of shout out to the vets a little bit and say that if you're a veteran veteran you need to accommodate a little more and, and, and try to make some friends and, and reintegrate into civilian society. I think that's important. It's very difficult to, to work in InfoSec in very sensitive fields if, if you've got a chip on your, your shoulder and, and you think you're better than other people. Because that's, that's ultimately what ends up creating gatekeepers, right? But at the end of the day, I, I would say there's a lot of people that ask me for advice on getting into cybersecurity. And the best possible advice that I could give is to be persistent. So you have to hit Google and read write-ups of hacking or, or read about different topics, such as like forensics and stuff like that. You have to read books on what you're interested in. I think it's essential to make friends on social media and, and start or join groups that are related to the field that you want to work in. I think gaining certifications is important. Maybe not an essential, depending on on what the field is, but important in my eyes. But more importantly than all, when it when it comes to work, showcase your work. Especially if you're involved in any projects and you like the ride, or if you have a blog or or anything like that, I think that employers really want to want to see that you're interested and that you know know your stuff. I think one of the hardest aspects for cybersecurity managers in in any sort of field or or subcategory, subfield, is they can't necessarily look at a candidate and and know how much of an expert they are. I mean, they could read a resume, but anyone can write a resume, right? How do you test someone's expertise in hacking or someone's expertise in, in defending. Sometimes you get assessments, but in, in many cases, I think it's important that to uh, showcase your work and, and have that kind of stuff to show an employer. Like, oh, hey, by the way, here's here's a great guide I wrote on a on a certification I, I, I took or here's a write-up of some, some bugs that I found recently and and why web app security matters or, or something like that. Right. Additionally, I think another thing to kind of just highlight is that everyone wants to be a red teamer, but you might end up working in a blue team. And I I think that's okay. You should have an open mind to other possibilities. I think there's probably less red teaming jobs out there than blue team, right? Because yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to blue team, think about it, right? There's application security, forensics, malware analysts, right? Security analysts. There's so many different types of of security jobs governance and compliance privacy engineers right you look at the blue team side of the house and you're like wow the breadth the breadth of, of just how many different types of jobs that are out there is just mind-boggling right whereas red teaming extremely competitive everyone wants to do it and when i when i say this i always 100 percent always get attacked like people take it very, very personally, and I understand why. Because back in the day, I I kind of took it personally too when people told me, "Go, go, go! Be a blue teamer. Go be a blue teamer." And I think that if you have the potential, just do what's available: red teaming or blue teaming. Right? Just kind of focus on on what your interest is, and and I'm there. And and if you absolutely don't want to stray away from red teaming, then don't. But but just. Prepare your work. Come up with write-ups. Just do everything you possibly can to really sh- showcase your value to a company, and, and and make sure that that you're set up. Yeah, like I said in that in that application process, I, it took me a couple hundred applications, and I think job seekers have have to understand that if you apply to ten or twenty jobs in the course of five months, it's going to be very difficult, especially if it's an if it's your first security role, like you have to, you have to set a, a bare minimum for yourself weekly for applications.
0: The crazy thing is, you know, now, now I'm guessing you're Shutterstock. I'm guessing you get approached a lot for roles.
1: I do actually, probably now more than ever since quarantine and, and coronavirus and all of that.
0: So what, what what I tend to find is it's so bloody hard for people to get into the industry, but once they've got even a year under their under their belt jobs come to them it's it's all about i guess suddenly they're in control to a degree of of you know where they want to go next or the opportunities out there
1: yeah i i couldn't agree more Ricky. and and i think that i thought that was a joke honestly when people were telling me that and now that i've i've been working appsec and even when i was edr at staples and only there for a couple months you you get a hit, hit up for anywhere between 3 to 5 roles a week sometimes and you're just like, wow, what, what, what is even happening right now? You know, okay. th- these guys are offering me staff engineering positions at $185,000 or, or more a year. Or, you know, I, I mean, the sky's the limit, right? Especially when it comes to salary and what they're trying to do to get you to go over there and, and work for them. But that's another thing that I always tell people that get into InfoSec is the grass is not always greener on the other side. If you like where you're at, stay where you're at. You know, there's going to come a time where where you're going to want to part ways, or you're going to be made to to part ways at the company you're working for, and then have at have at it. Go look at all all of the jobs that you've gathered. Hit up all the recruiters and and start reaching out, but. If you like where you're working just stay there. Money's money's just money. Money money comes and goes. Sometimes it helps. I mean I guess it depends on the difference in the money that you're making or or what your specific scenario is. But as, in terms of like everyday work life, I would say just just stay where you're at if you like it and and just keep on it. You'll have your chance to either move up and or or get into a, a better role that that you like elsewhere.
0: It's funny, like I'm clearly very biased with <laughs> with my response to that. I do agree with you to some point, but I think it's from what I, from my experience, most people are open-minded, but it's all about the criteria. So a person's motivations or what, what interests them next. And the thing is, it's, it's weird to say this, but I don't know if there is a perfect company out there. I think different. Where. different companies will suit different people at different points in their career so you know the role that you're at today would that be the right role for you in five years time probably not just like the role that you had you know a year and a half ago for example and things change and people change and interests change and there is some amazing you know businesses roles opportunities out there and I think it's, it's always worth listening or being open-minded but never chase the dollar
1: oh absolutely so yeah, I mean, I, expanding on that, I would say that when, when I'm saying don't just jump ship, I'm not saying don't go somewhere that makes you happy. If, if I had to elaborate and expand, I, I would just say that what I'm ultimately getting at is don't leave your job and, and just go to a new one because there are uh, some, some other places offering you more money. That's like the, that's the big thing. Like, if it's gonna make if the place is gonna make you happy and you're really interested in that role, like if you're working as a security analyst, tier one or something, tier two, and then someone offers you a job as a security engineer, tier three, doing endpoint detection response, right, or incident response, or or anything that that really interests you, then then go for it. I I just it kind of saddens me sometimes just to see people that are just jumping ships are are jumping ship every six to eight months just so they could get another five five to 10k on top of their salary until they get to like you know a ridiculous point i don't i don't think anyone should do that they should they should stick stick with the company and stay there for the passion not for the money
0: makes sense and just going back just hearing you earlier obviously the transition from marine corp to civilian life and obviously the you know the industry you're in now what would the i guess the big learns for you and and I guess you know. Just any any further advice you could impart on people that are currently in the services or or in uh, the Marines, for example.
1: So one of the biggest pieces of advice that I would give is is be kind. Just just be kind to everyone. Have a plan when you get out of the military. If you're still in the military, and if you're just getting out, just realize that you're not in the military anymore. Right? The people that are around you don't have to live that lifestyle that you do. And they don't have to uphold the standards that you may have at one point in time. And I think as long as people start to realize that, like veterans or, or people that are active duty, they'll have an easier transition into, back into civilian life.
0: Was that a big shock for you?
1: It was. I mean, it was, it was a gigantic shock. I was thoroughly unprepared and hardly had any friends, to be honest with you.
0: Wow yeah it must must have been a massive transition but it's one that you've done very well by the looks of it
1: thanks yeah yeah i think uh everything's gone pretty well f- for sure it's just starting to to humble yourself right and and get out of that mentality of i'm, I'm better than civilians and, and start to get in the mentality of look i'm i'm a veteran you know i'll always be a marine once marine always a marine that's that's how the motto goes but at the end of the day I'm not just instantly better than anyone else.
0: Fair enough. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. Really wish you good luck with the book, the bug hunting, and, and obviously your day jobs as a pen or pen tester on the side and also the AppSec role at Shutterstock. Clearly got a lot going on, but it's, it's really good to
1: see. Of course, Ricky. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Mind if I give a couple shout outs before we head out here? With pleasure. Yeah. So for one, I, I just wanted to say thanks to Robert Willis for hiring me as a, as a pen tester and, and teaching me a lot. I've only known him for a very short amount of time, but I think that he's just an awesome dude and he does really interesting stuff, really talented person. He's coming out with a comic book, actually, a hacking comic book, probably the first of its kind, hacker comic book series and realistic, right? It's going to be called Paraneon. And the Kickstarter launches on October 12th. You can follow him on Twitter. His handle is regex, R-E-J-E-X. And I I want to say thanks to the Shutterstock team and everyone that's had my back all along. And thanks to everyone else who's fostered and supported me in my professional development.
0: That's great. Well, John, thank you so much for your time and look forward to seeing everything unfolds.
1: Thanks, Ricky. Have a good one. Take care. Thanks for listening.
0: And if you've got any questions, comments, please reach out to me. You'll find me online anywhere, Ricky. And if you would like to be involved in the future, maybe be a guest, uh, then reach out as well. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. Bye.